How's it going, family? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods. On this episode of the show, I'm super excited to welcome back my very good friend, Sal Stefano. Sal is one of the hosts of Mind Pump Radio. You guys might be familiar with him or his cohorts, Adam and Justin. I wanted to get Sal back in here to discuss a new Netflix documentary that's making the rounds called The Game Changers. Sal has more than 20 years of experience under his belt as a personal trainer. He's a bona fide fitness expert. So I wanted to get his take on this documentary, which presents an argument that is not only strongly in favor of veganism, but decidedly anti-meat. So we try to give as unbiased a take as possible on that, plus why calorie and macro counting is so popular in the fitness industry and some simple fat loss techniques. Sal's a brilliant guy, as anyone who knows him will attest to, and he's one of my favorite guests on The Genius Life, so I am nothing short of elated to have him back, and I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. But before we get to it, I want to give a shout-out to the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is Ned. I actually first discovered Ned from my friends at Mind Pump. They make a line of really high-quality CBD-infused products. Now, I know there is a ton of hype surrounding CBD, And I think for many claims, the hype exceeds the science, but many people are now reporting improved sleep with CBD, less inflammation, less pain, and perhaps even um, less anxiety, all from this compound that is derived from the cannabis plant. Now, today, it's easy to find products that are uh, infused with CBD. You can go to your local deli and no doubt find CBD-infused gummy bears, I was at my local market the other day and I saw CBD-infused sparkling water. And there's just no question that the doses in many of these products are uh, likely going to be worthless. If you want a super potent um, concoction of CBD in a very clean product that's uh, essentially just pure MCT oil and CBD oil, I highly recommend going to the source um, for many people and checking out NED. If you go to helloned.com and use promo code genius, you're going to get to save 15% off of your first order. Don't mess around with gummy bears. Know that you're getting the real thing. Again, that's helloned.com, promo code genius. You'll get to save 15% off of your first order. Now, guys, please take a moment to support the genius life. You can do that in one of two ways. You can leave a rating and review for the show on iTunes. I read all of your reviews, and I'm always open to feedback, so please go and do that. Um... And the second way is by joining my newsletter at maxlugavir.com. By signing up for my newsletter, which I send out on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, you're going to have access to potentially life-changing information in your mailbox that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else. You can opt out anytime. And just for signing up at maxlugavir.com, I'm going to instantly send you my PDF guide of 11 supplements that you can use to potentially boost your brain function, along with my number one sleep hack for better and more rejuvenating sleep. So please head over to maxlugavir.com, enter your first and last name and email address, and we will be in touch. All right, guys. Well, I'm excited to dive in with my good friend, Sal Stefano. He is the man, brilliant guy. So strap on your seatbelts and let's rock. Sal Stefano. Yes. What up? Not much, man. It's always cool coming over here. I love having you here. Yeah, dude. You're like you're like my my brother from another mother. Same. For sure. For sure. Same. I feel the same way. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, whatever. What was it you gave me? Glutathione. We just took some liposomal uh, glutathione, which smells like a fart. And, yep. Um, <laughs> in a in a little packet. <laughs> it, it feels like you're s- squeezing one into your mouth. It's uh, it's pretty gross. I'm the I'm the perfect person for uh, <laughs> shit like this. Like if I come over. And you want to give me just random supplements and pills? You're the guy. I'll I'll just be like, okay, and then I'll ask you afterwards. You know, I kind of I kind of figured that. That's why I felt confident in in breaking them out. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, it's by a company I have no affiliation with beyond the fact that they just send me this stuff. It's uh, Live On Labs. They make this like these vitamin C packets, magnesium three and eight, a B complex, and uh, awesome. Yeah. No, I'm excited, dude. You're 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 just doing so well. Your podcast is really taking off. We get people commenting all the time about hearing stuff on your podcast, which is phenomenal. I think when I first met you. I think you had the podcast when we first met, but it was brand new, or maybe you were just about to start it. I think, it, yeah, it was like in that nascent sort of incubation yeah. phase. Yeah, yeah and, and you're you're doing a phenomenal job. The guests you have are good, and it's it's great. I love seeing um, good people in the in the health space. There's not enough good information that's out there that's measured and that's communicated well. So I'm happy. Yeah, I know you guys go through this too, but it's like a lot of people in the health space are in it for reasons that are. Um, not as, I guess, like genuine, you know, like there's a lot of marketers that get into the health space, um, people who are just trying to sell stuff, hawk products and things like that. Um, but you know, I think that we connect and, and bond have bonded over the fact that we're not like that. I mean, obviously we have to like make a living and we, sure. and we do things to, to, to accomplish that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we're just like junkies for knowledge. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a it's an easy space I think to monetize, um, which is why I think it attracts a lot of hucksters, and they've been around forever in fitness. When I was a kid, I was reading Muscle and Fitness and Flex Magazine and Iron Man and all those other uh, publications, and not realizing that a lot of the information that they were promoting was designed to to get you to buy a lot of the products that they were selling and affiliated with. Um, so you still get a lot of that. And then on the other hand, you get a lot of people who are attracted to fitness or become obsessed with fitness and health because of their own uh, body dysmorphias or insecurities. So then a lot of the information you get from them comes through them through that filter. So you'll hear, and it's not, it's not they're not bad people, um, but a lot of the information they communicate is just through that insecure body obsession type filter. So it's like, you know, you got to, it's, it's all or nothing. You know, you got to beat yourself up in the gym. It's beast mode or <laughs> the only way to, for successful, you know, long-term fat loss is to count your macros. And, you know, um, it, 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 it's not that they don't, that there isn't some truth in what they're saying, but it, th- there's a lot of mistruth in what they're saying and it doesn't work well for the average person. And if you're somebody who's trying to improve your health and fitness or your appearance and you have, you're a little bit insecure, boy, can that really make it uh, really bad. So it's it's tough to find good people in our space who are saying th- the right thing, saying them the right way, understanding context, and who aren't just, you know, for lack of a better term, bullshitters, unfortunately. Yeah. That's why I love you guys and, you know, Adam and Justin, that you guys are fitness experts, but you're not bound by that uh, sort of fitness... Um, myopia that I think sort of occurs where it's this obsession, as you mentioned, yeah, with like macros and calorie counting and things like that. I made a post on Instagram earlier today where I was talking about the fact that, you know, like, like what I try to do is I try to walk a tightrope between what I know about the science of fitness and body comp and all that stuff, which is amazing, but also the fact that I'm, I want to speak to an audience that's like, they're not fitness competitors. Mm-hmm. They're not people who are trying to like diet down to a ridiculous and unsustainable body fat level to enter a competition or you know, what the, whatever the case may be. They're just people who are trying to like maintain a healthy weight. And I don't think that like you should, you know, that like this obsession with these numerical, you know, like calories and, and I mean, obviously they play a role, but I think that like teaching people the fundamentals of how to eat properly so that they're, 
you know, hunger mechanisms are going to be uh, kept in check so that they're going to be fulfilling their body's requirement for certain nutrients throughout the day. Like, I think that's a more... Um, it's a great example. It's a great example of what I'm talking about. It, it, counting calories and counting macros works well long-term for the obsessed. Yeah. So when you're, it's communicated by the obsessed, by the body obsessed, body image, uh, you know, people with body image issues who identify so strongly with their body and, and perhaps insecurities related to that, they're going to communicate to you how they get where they, where they are with the way they look. And the way they get to where they are is by obsessing over these things every single day. That is not at all uh, a long-term approach for most people. And even for those people, it's not a good approach because they don't realize it, but they're actually doing themselves uh, more harm than good. I, we talked about this before we started the podcast, but um, you know, a while ago I read a study from Harvard, and there's been other studies that echo this, that the, your quality of life, the relationships around you are as important or more important to your health than fitness, than working out or diet is alone. Hmm. They compared having bad relationships to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Jesus. They also compared having good relationships to being more impactful in a positive way to your health than just exercise or just nutrition. So here you have body-obsessed uh, individuals in fitness who are discarding or disregarding the relationships in their lives. They're not going out with friends and family. They won't miss a workout if, if for anything. Um, their life revolves around this obsession and they're doing it in the pursuit of health, quote unquote. In reality, they're doing harm to their health. And you know, learning how to uh, manage nutrition is like learning anything else. There's, I learned this a long time ago. I remember it blowing my mind uh, years ago when I learned it, but there's four stages of of learning anything. And the first stage is you're, you're, you're unconsciously incompetent. This is when you have, you don't know what you don't know. So a lot of people, you know, they start out when they start trying to improve the nutrition, they just don't know what they don't know. And so it's very, it's a very quick transition to the second phase, which is, um, conscious incompetence. So then you start to learn, you go, Oh, look at all the stuff that I don't know. So now you're consciously aware of all the things that you don't know. Now the third stage is is essential. You got to get there, but you don't want to get stuck there. And this is where the, the obsession of macro counting and calorie counting is. This is the conscious competent stage. So conscious competence is I have to consciously think about everything that I'm doing and all this information. Um, so to give you an example, um, walking or breathing are not conscious competent actions. Imagine if every time you took a step, you had to consciously think about every single step or every time you took a breath, you had to sit there and think about breathing or blinking. In fact, if you're listening to the podcast right now, you're probably annoyed that I said that because now you're thinking about <laughs> both of those things, right? <laughs> those actions are in the fourth stage of learning, which is unconscious competence. It just becomes a natural part of life. So mm -hmm. when we're talking about nutrition and food, what you eat is so, it's such an, a, a, important part of who we are. I mean, there's whole cultures uh, organized and in, in, in designed around food. There's events designed around food. There's breakfast foods, lunch foods, dinner foods. Um, food isn't just uh, sustenance. It doesn't just provide physiological benefit or harm. There's also emotional, mental connections uh, with food. Um, some foods make you happy, not because they make you physically healthy, but because they 
either consciously or subconsciously remind you of the time my mom made this food when I was a kid or <laughs> I grew up and this is what I ate or context. I'm at the movies. This is the only time I ever crave popcorn, by the way, is when I'm at the movies, but that's when I want um, popcorn. Um, so food is very, very much a, it's a part of who we are, like sex or you know any of the other essential things that makes us human. So it's, it is a terrible approach to stay in this conscience competence conscious competent stage of macro and calorie counting where you're obsessing. That is a very stressful, anxiety-ridden way to live your life. Either you have to stay obsessed always with your food, which is not a great way to live, or you think to yourself, screw it, I'm going to just not worry about anything at all and just eat whatever I want. And the problem with that is We've learned to assign our value to food, not based off of all of the potential values, but based off of a few values. And most of the value that we place on food is its palatability and how it makes us feel emotionally. And those are real values, by the way. So there's nothing wrong with acknowledging the value of palatability and then how foods affect you emotionally. The problem lies in making those the only values. We we don't learn... Uh, at all how to identify hunger, for example. And this is mainly, it's, this is kind of a side effect of a good thing. We have food all the time. Like yeah. Ever since you're born, you probably didn't go a day without food unless you were really sick. Right. So you don't know what it feels like to really be, feel um, hungry. Um, we don't connect the dots with food when it comes to how they make us feel, unless it's extreme, like if you have an allergy or severe uh, reaction. You know, we tend to um, numb the effects that food has on our body, like constipation, bloating, uh, you know, uh, heartburn, diarrhea. So it's like, oh, you know, I, I take a Tums every night after dinner. Yeah. Not connecting the fact that the food may be causing that. And the problem with that is, again, I don't see what the true value of that food is. Um, so, th- so we're in a position where we're not in a position to eat in a way that really uh, benefits us as a whole. We're only really in a position uh, to to choose food based off of, like I said, how good it tastes and emotionally how we feel. So uh, I understand that it's difficult to get to that fourth stage, but that's the goal. And so you know, in in the especially in the hardcore fitness space, it's all about macro counting and calorie counting. But you gotta you gotta look at who's communicating that. You're you're listening to a bunch of body obsessed. Um, many of them driven by their insecurities type people or bodybuilders, physique competitors, bikini competitors, in which case, look, if you're trying to get shredded, yeah, you know, Max, if you want veins in your abs, <laughs> you're probably going to have to count right. your macros and your calories. Right. But if you want to live a relaxed, healthy life where you're, you naturally, dare I say, maintain <laughs> a good body weight, you naturally have a good body composition um, you feel good, you go out and enjoy cake or pizza every once in a while because you understand its true value. Most of the time, you probably don't want that food because you understand how it really affects you on a whole, which, by the way, is a very different place to be, right? It's very different. When you're macro counting and someone offers you food that doesn't fit in your macros, it becomes, I can't. Hmm. I can't eat that. When you're eating in that fourth stage of learning, which some people call intuitive eating, I hate that term now because it's been... Um, turned into, you know, it's kind of marketing or whatever, a, a lot of marketing around it. But when you're in that stage of eating, it goes from I can't to I don't want. 
Hmm. I don't want it. Now, how – and by the way, when you say you don't want something, when, you're, when you get to this place, it doesn't mean you don't acknowledge how tasty it is. So I think sometimes people say, like, I don't want that cookie. And they're like, what do you mean you don't like it? No, no, no. I know it's going to taste good. Yeah. But at the moment, the value that it provides to me, it's not really worth eating it. So I don't want it. Mm-hmm. How easy would it be to eat healthy long-term, in the truest sense, health, uh, in all those senses that I said, how easy would it be when you either wanted or didn't want to eat foods based off of how they served you? It would be very, very easy. Um, this took me a long time to learn in coaching my clients. It took me a long time to learn. I would say the first 10 years of personal training, um, I didn't have understand this approach. It was very much the mechanistic um, effects of food, how you know calories in versus calories out, macronutrients, then later on it was... You know, these foods are healthier for your body. These are less healthy for your body. Then later on, it was, oh, your microbiome. Then later on, it was like, oh, there's an emotional component. And once I piece this all together, because, you know, my most of my experience is in uh, training everyday people. Um, so when you hear, like, myself, Adam, or Justin, my co-host, communicate a lot of stuff that we communicate, it's through that filter of I've worked with hundreds of people or thousands uh, by proxy because I had trainers working for me and their clients and I would monitor their progress and stuff. Right. So, and, and we all had a deep passion for helping people. Believe me, if we were, um, if we were money motivated, we would got out of fitness a long time ago. So it's, a, yeah. it's hard to make a ton of money being a personal trainer, but we loved helping people. And so if you really want to help people and you do it for long enough, you start to figure out what kind of works and what doesn't work forever, not just in the short term. Cause Macro counting, calorie counting, that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Like you want to lose weight in you know, 30 days or whatever. Um, yeah, it'll work for 100%. It'll work. Um, you want to lose weight forever? Well, you got to move out of that uh, at some point. So that, that's usually my, that's my big beef with that, that whole space. You communicate it very well. That's why I like when you talk about the things that you talk about. And I know there's people in, my, in the hardcore fitness space that have tried to <laughs> poke at you a little bit yeah and uh i actually but i like that because you know what i mean on the one hand i do learn from them you know i'm not so firmly guarded in my own stance on things that like you know that i'm not uh uh t- like tuned in to what people in the fitness community are doing and their philosophy on diet and nutrition but yeah i mean it's it's very clear that there's this like myopic um obsession with calorie counting that basically everything you know everything can be boiled down to like calories in calories out and that's like true obviously when it comes to weight loss but mm-hmm. like you know but you know we have countless studies now coming out showing that like just the switch from uh, an ultra processed diet to a whole foods based diet a minimally processed diet is gonna basically do everything that you need it's gonna do all the heavy lifting for you so that you don't have to obsess over this um this this artifact you know this like you know it's like calories are like time it's like a human construct i mean yes it's a measure of energy yada 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 and calories are calories whether they come from you know protein or fat or or carbs or whatever but i think we're just putting our attention in the wrong place and not only that it's like they they, I, i feel like the fitness community very often frequently um points our attention towards like the calorie content of food. Whereas I think it's a lot more useful for your average person to, to shine a light on the areas in their life where they can increase the calories outside of the equation. Sure. Like optimizing sleep, 
you know, exercising more, eating foods that are higher quality, which are automatically going to have a higher thermic effect, like protein. Mm-hmm. Like, think about the fact that protein... So we all know that fat has nine calories per gram, protein and carbs, four calories per gram, but protein basically has three calories per yeah, gram. Because of its thermic effect. Because of its thermic effect, yeah. right? So it, it's like a, almost like a free ride. And, and protein is extremely satiating as well. But when we look at those studies that show how satiating protein is, here's the thing about protein. When you think about all the foods that you buy at the grocery store, you think about the person's, uh, an average person's diet, typically the most minimally processed part of the diet is the protein, hmm. if you think about that. Um, there are protein foods that are uh, processed, that are heavily processed, but the vast majority of heavily processed foods are carbohydrate and fat uh, based. When people get protein in their diet, it's usually eggs, milk, chicken, fish, steak, those types of foods. Now, the heavily processed versions of proteins would be like your bacons and your, your, your processed meats and that kind of stuff. But I think that may be one of the reasons why protein has been shown to be so satiating in studies is because when people eat the protein... It's in these foods that are not heavily processed. Um, and then when they control for that factor, they still show that protein has a little bit more of a, of a satiety um, you know, type of an effect. It's all about behaviors. It's not about necessarily information. Here's the, here's the deal. Look, you can have all the information in the world, but it's not going to give you wisdom, and it's not going to uh, necessarily change your behaviors. In fact, sometimes information does the opposite. There was a town, a city, I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, but there was a a city that passed a law with good intentions, as many laws are passed, um, to help with the obesity problem in this town. And so what they did is they passed this law and said, all the restaurants in this town must post the calorie content of each of the meals that they serve. So if you walk into a fast food restaurant or you walk into your sit-down restaurant, you open the menu, you look at the salad, you look at the steak, the french fries, it'll say calories. Now they thought, this is going to help people. <laughs> people are going to see that these foods have high calories. These foods have low calories. And since everybody now knows calories, everybody understands this now. This is not new information that people are going to have more information. And with that information, make better choices and change their behaviors. Okay. So they did this, this experiment. And you know what they found? What? <laughs> people ate more calories. <laughs> so now you think to yourself, why is that? Why would people eat more calories when being presented with the information of how many calories was in each of these meals? Well, it turns out, again, these are legislators, so they didn't take into account human behavior. When I go to a restaurant and I want to order some food and I look at the chicken salad and that's 340 calories and then I look at the burger and fries and that's, you know, 800 calories, I'm not thinking to myself, man, that's oh my gosh, that's another 500 calories. I'm thinking, that's only 500 more calories. <laughs> I'm going to get the burger. <laughs> and so it backfired. So giving people more information in that case actually resulted in people eating more food. It's not, a, we're not, it's not an information problem. I mean, we're in the age of information. You, you got to be kidding. I, we have access to all the recorded information of all of uh, human history at our fingertips. So it's not about necessarily informing people about calories, proteins, fats, and carbs. We've been trying that for decades. It doesn't work. It's exactly what you said about heavily processed foods. If you look at the obesity epidemic, we've been trying to connect it to carbs. They've tried to connect it to fats. They've tried to connect it to inactivity. The reality is that uh, right around the 60s and 70s, heavily processed foods really started to become uh, a a regular part of our everyday lives. Um, The TV dinner 
was introduced. Now, remember, when they first came out, a home-cooked meal was still the staple. That was still the, the tradition. But little by little, that moved out, and it became more and more about the convenience factor. Heavily processed foods are excellent at convenience. You just yeah. open them up, microwave them, or take them out of the box or whatever. They're right there. Heavily processed foods are also branded um, and patented or owned or whatever. So I can't necessarily patent a chicken breast, but I can definitely <laughs> patent a chicken breast product Right, that's processed. So lots of money goes into making these foods. And all of the money, most of the money that goes into these foods goes into making them as palatable and hedonistically pleasurable as possible to eat, which there's a lot of things uh, that... Um, that come with that, by the way. It's not just taste. It's like smell, taste, texture, mouth, the sound it makes when you crunch on it, the, the, the wrapper in your hand, the color of the box, the color of the food. And for people listening who think that doesn't have a big effect, it actually does. It was years ago, Heinz Ketchup, I think it was Heinz, came out with black ketchup. Oh they, thought, they thought it would be cool, right? They sold barely any ketchup <laughs> because black ketchup is the color. And by the way, the taste was the same. But it changed the the hedonistic feel of it, the the the... the the palatability. Wow. So these these hyper palatable foods, uh, excuse me, hyper palatable foods entered into our lives more and more. And as they did, because they're designed to make us want to eat more, we ate more. And so our behaviors just changed. It's the same. Look, it's the same thing that happens when you're at your your your, your family's dinner or, or Thanksgiving or whatever, and you finish eating, and you're like, you're sitting there. We've all experienced <laughs> stuffed. Like I can't even breathe. I'm so full right now. <laughs> And then, you know, Aunt Jenny brings out her famous pecan pie or something. All of a sudden, you are completely aware of the pain in your stomach. It's full. It's bloated. You probably you feel like you can't fit any more food. But for some reason, you can eat more food because it's <laughs> something that has now overcome what's called palate fatigue. Hmm. Uh, palate fatigue is a very real thing. There's this, this weird belief that um, – it's, and it's not true. There's this belief that if humans were just given – endless food, that because food was so scarce through most of human history, that we would constantly overeat. That's our nature. Our nature is to overeat because food was so scarce. Not true. Overeating would cause problems back then just like it would cause now, whether it be gastro issues, issues that could definitely threaten survival. We have something called palate fatigue. We've all experienced this before where you eat too much of one food and you just don't want to eat anymore. But then if you switch to another flavor or feel, now you feel like you can eat more. Um, that guy on that show, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, Man versus Food. Yeah. He, he did this one contest. You know, he goes and tries it. He does, he, he does these like eating contests. And the contest was to eat a sink full of uh, ice cream in oh, wow. a certain amount of time. And he gets down to like two thirds of the way and he starts to like gag. Palate fatigue is hitting him. <laughs> he can't keep eating. He's just, he can't do it. So what does he do? He orders a plate of extra salty, extra crispy French fries. Eats those. Boom, can finish the ice cream. So in order to eat the ice cream, he had to eat more food. Wow. So it wasn't because his stomach was full. It was because that he, he, he understands how to overcome or how to hijack that, that, that palate fatigue. So we all have this. Hyperpalatable foods hijack this. That's what they're designed to do. That's what they're good at. So the single most effective thing you can do, and again, this won't make you shredded, but this will keep your body weight at a much more net normal healthy way, you know, body weight is to simply largely avoid those types of foods and your behaviors around food. If you're otherwise healthy will modify and you'll just naturally eat less. And that's what the study showed. They had that one crossover study where they had groups 
who had unlimited access, and it was very well controlled. They were in a lab. Yes, Kevin Hall study at yes. the uh, National Institutes of Health. Yeah. yeah, and then they, 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 you know, one group had the whole natural food, one group had the heavily processed food. Macronutrient profiles were very similar, and then they switched them. And what was it like? Five hundred, six hundred more calories yeah, on about average. Yeah, five hundred. Yeah, per that's, day. That's that, a pound of body fat a week. So now you can see what the real, like that's the real, and it's so simple. It's well, it's much more simple than counting calories and obsessing. And it's literally just. And by the way, just be aware. I would say, just be aware. Like, okay, if I buy lots of these box foods or whatever, it's just going to make me want it. I'm just going to eat more as a result. So I'm going to try and stick with the whole natural foods. And then the other thing too is there's just more barriers between you and uh, consuming whole natural foods than there are with heavily processed foods. And, and in my experience, this is my now. This is I don't know if there's any studies to support this. It's just my um, experience as a personal trainer. Um, putting barriers between you and an impulsive behavior or a an unconscious behavior or whatever uh, is a, is a good strategy to bring awareness around uh, your behavior. So if if you uh, like to snack when you eat when you watch TV, for example, um, that's like a that's like deadly. Um, snacking while you are occupied or distracted, uh, it, it it has been shown to just get you to eat more. So when I would have clients that would say. Yeah, I like to snack when I watch TV. So I'd say, okay, um, no snacks in the house, but if you really want one, you can drive to the grocery store. So that's a big barrier. So they're watching TV like, oh, I'd really love a snack. Hmm. Like, okay, I got to drive five <laughs> minutes to the grocery store. I really don't want that. Or sometimes they would. They would drive to it. But it just, it was a bit of a barrier. Whole natural foods have a bit of a barrier too. You usually got to cook them. Yeah. Uh, you got to, you know, prepare them a little bit. Uh, at the very least, you got to, you know, take them out of a can, add a little salt, a little oil or whatever and, um, whereas the heavily processed stuff is like ready to rock and roll right, right, right yeah. away. So that's it, man. You just do that and you've got – this is also my big beef with um, you know, artificial sweeteners, my biggest beef with artificial sweeteners. I did that debate with uh, Lane Norton who's a – Lane Norton is a, is a big figure in the fitness uh, space, in the hardcore fitness space. And he's all about artificial sweeteners because they don't have any calories. He's a macro counter, right? Right. And he's like, Eat, take – you know. Having foods with artificial sweeteners is fine. There's no calories. It's a great way to lose weight. Well, all the studies that don't have people totally control their calories, so all the, all the studies that don't have macro counters, um, show that when people replace their regularly uh, sweetened foods with artificial sweetened, artificially sweetened foods, that they don't lose any weight. They don't gain any weight, and they don't lose any weight. So what does that mean? Yeah, why wouldn't they lose weight? Uh, because they're replacing those calories with other foods. Hmm. Um, because uh, artificial sweeteners, by the way, are far more, they're far sweeter than sugar. They're actually considered more palatable than sugar. You'll find if you consume uh, sodas with aspartame, uh, once you get past the like, oh, it tastes different than sugar, you'll find that the cravings are, tend to be stronger than sugar. The other reason is that um, artificially sweetened foods have been marketed as better or healthier because of low calories. And so there's a, there's a barrier, just like I talked about. There's a barrier that's removed that barrier being calories or sugar. So the average person, when they consume artificially sweetened drinks, rather than just having one soda like they would with the sugar, they, tar- they tend to, oh, it's, there's no calories. I'm going to go you know, one after another. Then that gets them to want to eat other foods because it spurs that, uh, you know, the cravings for other foods. It changes how you perceive foods. When you eat hyperpalatable foods, you tend to uh, crave Foods that are more palatable mm-hmm. and foods that are whole and natural tend to taste more bland. Um, so if anyone's ever reduced salt in their diet or reduced sugar in their diet, 
at first the kind of food kind of say, you know, tastes kind of bland, but then it's fine. Then you go back to eating sugar or salt and like, well, this is really super strong. <laughs> um, so, you know, those, these are just things that you want to kind of understand about food that will make a tremendous impact on helping to modify your behaviors. Cause at the end of the day, it's all about behaviors. It's not about you know, knowledge is important. It's an important thing that you need to, you need to know information to know how to, to, you know, what direction to modify your behaviors. But that information, just knowing that information and willing yourself, that daily got to will myself, uh, that'll only last so long. That's like a, you start to, at some point you rebel. Yeah. Well, I mean, willpower is a fine, very finite resource. It, it actually takes away from your, if you're like super willpower about one thing, it actually takes away from the bucket of willpower for other things too, oh, they found. Man. Yeah. So people who are like strictly on strict diet tend to be more impulsive in other aspects of their life. Well, they totally, find. totally makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of weird, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I'd say pay attention to those things and, uh, a pre and really respect and appreciate what you're dealing with. You are dealing with your behaviors that have been molded over, I don't know how many years. Millennia. Uh, and, and even individually, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Yeah. So appreciate that and understand that it's a process changing any deep seated long-term behavior or any behavior you've had for a long time is going to take a little while. So my recommendation to people, especially when it comes to nutrition, is to um, first off, be honest with yourself and say, okay, what's one step that I can take that's challenging yet realistic forever? Like forever, not just realistic for 30 days or 90 days, forever. And be honest with yourself. I, I remember one, I had a client once who... Um, you know, she's probably had the worst diet I've ever seen in my life. She didn't drink water. She had- <laughs> oh, I think you told me about this this case before. She didn't eat vegetables. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And, uh, you know, we started with getting her to read a page out of a nutrition book. That, that was her first step, you know. And then it got her to, like, eating one broccoli or something like that. So take uh, – be honest with yourself. Take one small step that's realistic but challenging but realistic forever. Do that. Once that becomes a part of your normal behaviors, then take the next step. And it sounds slow, um, but – it's actually remarkably much faster than you think. You know, if you, if you if you take two parallel lines and move one one degree to the left, uh, as you follow it, that distance becomes uh, massive. Hmm. That's the only that's the only way that I've ever personally seen forever long term changes in clients. Bes- besides the super rare epiphany, where you know you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, you know, oh, you know, three your arteries are blocked, you're gonna die, and then you have an epiphany and you change everything. That uh, that is less that's that's less common. The, the the much more common approach is the slow, measured, realistic behavior change approach. And you do that, and you're 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 gold. You, yeah. You try and will yourself the other way, you're gonna fail almost every time. A thousand percent. I mean, I see this in my own behavior. I you know will sometimes buy you know bagged you know convenience foods because I enjoy snacking while I'm watching TV. And there was a product, I don't know if you've ever tried it, I have no affiliation with the company, but they're called Paleo Puffs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I would do I did the same thing. Yeah. I, I literally, at this point, I know that if it's in my cart, in my shopping cart, it's in my stomach. And that there's, <laughs> you know, that, that all hope is lost when it comes to moderating products like these. But there have been countless times where I've brought a bag of these, like to watch a movie with my brother in mm-hmm. front of the couch, in front of the TV, and I go through the entire bag. Right. Dude, I'm not kidding you. I go through, lit, my brother maybe gets like five puffs <laughs> and I'm just like sho- like shoveling them into my mouth. So this is beyond even like, you know, products that are marketed as healthy. Once you have once, you know, these foods are able to hit that hyperpalatable threshold, mm-hmm. then yeah, willpower becomes this like this this muscle and it's 
nine times out of ten, I'm betting it's going to be something that you lose the battle to. Yeah, and you just you, you, all you got to do is understand and appreciate uh, the, the 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 whole true value of that food. And palatability is a value. I'm not saying there's something nothing wrong with the hedonistic pleasure of eating food. I mean, geez, I'm, I'm Italian for God's sake. <laughs> you know, my, my that's what we're most known for, right? Um, so you know, but when you buy that bag. You know that. Like, oh, I'm by this. This is what's probably going to happen. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, and then you enjoy it and then you eat it. And then you maybe next time at the grocery store, you think to yourself like, okay, what's really, what's going to feed me in the, in the best, healthiest way and not just physical health, but total health. You know, like when I have friends over uh, for dinner, I'm not necessarily thinking, it depends on the friend, you know, but uh, I'm not necessarily thinking I want to get the, the most physiologically healthy food sometimes i think like what are we going to enjoy eating Hmm. like what's going to be fun you know oh i'm going to have some wine with some friends we're going to bond over is the wine healthy for my physical body no uh emotionally um sure yeah you know bonding absolutely so then you have this balanced life see see here's what happens when you do the macro counting you have cheat days (laughs) they all have cheat days why do they have cheat days they have cheat days because they feel like they're going to explode if they don't now, if you do, if you go and do it in the way that I'm saying, there is no cheat day because there is no. It's like the Matrix. Remember the Matrix when the the kid's bending the spoon with his mind. Yeah. And and then Neil's and then he Neil's like, "How are you doing that?" He's like, "The the, the trick is to know there is no spoon, right? It's not on the wagon, off the wagon. There is no wagon. You just just the way you live. Sometimes you eat in ways that feel good emotionally, and most of the time you probably don't." And by the way, be honest with yourself about that emotional uh, value of food. Sometimes it's it's a numbing quality that we get from food, and in, in, in which case, I can understand sometimes there's value to that, but a lot of times there isn't value. Sometimes there's value in just feeling what you need to feel, so you can do what you need to do. So, I mean, it's it's here's the bottom line: it's far more complex than uh, counting calories uh, and counting macros. Um, but no one's really having this honest conversation. The conversation we keep hearing is, it's fat, it's carbs, it's, pr- you know, oh no, it's protein, and now you know, it's vegan, you know, it's meat. Yeah, but I feel like that, I feel like that often puts the blame, it points the finger at the consumer who is left befuddled as to why they can't lose weight. Are they not, are they eating too much? Are they not moving enough? Are they consuming too many calories? When in reality, I think that's where the fitness community consistently comes up short is that they don't they don't do a good job in, of informing people as to how these foods affect behavior yes because they're too focused on macros yeah and all this other you it's know, all art. about the mechanistic uh, actions that are happening right and, and, and you know here's you know on that note max i'll tell you what the most complex thing that humans have uh, discovered in the universe up until now is the brain. The second most complex is the, hum- the, the mammalian metabolism, okay? It's, it's also not that simple in terms of just counting. Like, it's far more complex. I mean, y- your body and your metabolism, if you include your microbiome, and then if you include, which you can't separate, you cannot separate the mental and emotional component that food comes along with. Uh, your experience of the food, how they make you feel emotionally. If you think for one second that how you feel emotionally doesn't affect you physically, you're crazy. Uh, absolutely does. I, I mean, you could have a thought right now and cause hormones, some hormones and chemicals to spike and whatnot. So when you count all those things that make up who you are, you have a fingerprint. So food affects you different than it affects other people. 
And here's the kicker. It affects you differently tomorrow than it does today and especially two years from now. Um, so understanding and respecting this, uh, I think, is the only way to have long-term success. It's not to scare people or to make them feel – in fact, I think it's much more simple. I think when people understand it in this way, they say, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Here's, here's something. Check this out. So I have companies send me um, products all the time to try out, right? So I got these really – these kind of amber-colored glasses that are blue blockers. So they're like orange-reddish. So you put them on, and uh, everything is this like orange-reddish tint. <laughs> and they're designed to block blue and green light, right? You're supposed to help you with your melatonin production before bed, and you know that's another conversation. But I notice when I put these on, and then I go to eat, I enjoy the food less. <laughs> That makes total sense. Test it out. <laughs> Actually, if you're listening, test this out. If you have like orange or red, you know, blue blockers or whatever, put them on and go eat dinner. You'll probably eat less food because wow. the color of the food is so important wow. to it's a component to, you know, uh, to palatability. What a brilliant freaking insight that is though because I mean, that obviously sounds inconvenient and and unpleasurable, but as a weight loss tool, <laughs> you know, Put like, these glasses on before you eat. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Super interesting. No, it's really really weird. It, 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 Actually, the, uh, by the way, this goes for a lot of different things. You know, your experience of, uh, around lots of different things that you use, you can refer to as, as almost as palatability, like, your, like the, your use of technology. They have this uh, function on your iPhone where you can turn your phone uh, black and white. I've seen that, yeah. And so I tested it out. So I put it black and white for a few days and I tracked my usage. It actually went down. Wow. Yeah, because I was less likely to like click on the Instagram or the... Isn't that weird? Yeah, because your brain loves all the millions of colors. Like where else in... You know, in human history, would you have seen like all those millions of colors concentrated so brightly with so such contrast on a screen that's like mere inches from your face? It's like it's like pure dopamine to the human brain. It's 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 awesome. <laughs> it's awesome to understand. It, and you know, we 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 we're now a few generations in of this processed food uh, revolution or whatever you want to call it. And you know, I, I want to make sure that I, I'm very clear. I'm not demonizing processed food, there's a lot of things we solved with the, with the, the processing of food. Um, we're able to transport food without it going bad. We're able to turn uh, a problem uh, around where you know people weren't getting enough calories for most of human history. Um, now calories is actually so easy, easily accessible that the opposite, it's now become the opposite problem. Um, processed foods have real value, so I don't want to demonize them. But we're now about three, four generations into this processed food uh, revolution, and we're now just now starting to really appreciate that we need to create uh, structure around it. Because if we just leave ourselves to just going about and eating whatever, and we're eating all these heavily processed foods, they do such a good job that they that we're just it's not gonna it won't work. We'll just all be obese. We'll all uh, overeat. I think we're gonna do that with technology, by the way. At some point, I think at some point, hopefully soon, we'll start to realize that we need to set up structures, and, and it's because you know we do a good job of. Uh, creating things that we want super super good at doing that and uh and then later on we figure out oh we need to <laughs> we need to put some barriers around this kind of stuff because if we just get everything that we want all the time then yeah our behaviors tend to cause uh lots of problems you know so true yeah um okay so i want to shift gears because uh because i have you here i really want to talk about a topic that's been on a lot of people's minds lately and that is this new netflix documentary that people are talking about oh yeah called The Game Changers. And I know you and your boys, Adam and Justin, took a field trip, saw the movie, and uh, I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts about it. So 
let's talk about Game Changers a little bit. And I just want to preface, this is not about Game Changers is a, it's a vegan, it's promoting the vegan diet as a means of performance enhancement, body composition. And I want to preface this with saying that I don't believe that you very well can be a vegan and be a high performer and have a fantastic body. Mm -hmm. The problem that I have with the movie is that it sets this, it sets it up as being the only way to achieve good health, a great body and you know, phenomenal performance in the gym. Totally. Totally. Those are my thoughts. It's a, um, it's the best well-made, highly produced, uh, piece of vegan propaganda that I've ever seen. I mean, they really did a good job. They did. They made an exceptionally compelling case by taking some truths in scientific studies and then twisting it a little bit uh, to kind of feed their um, their nar- narrative. Before I, c- I continue, I do want to preface and say the diet that's best for performance for you is the diet that's going to make you healthiest. Okay? So... If you're somebody like uh, Michaela Peterson, for example, Michaela, P- Michaela Peterson, uh, daughter of, uh, of the author Jordan Peterson, she has severe immune reactions to almost every food. Um, so she eats probably the most restrictive elimination diet that I think I, I know of, which is the carnivore diet. All she eats is meat. That's all. So she's the opposite of vegan. For her, Eating carnivore is the best diet for performance. Even though studies will show that you need carbohydrates for maximum performance, if she were to compare herself on all physical tests, strength, speed, whatever, eating foods that contain you know, plant-based foods or whatever versus carnivore, she would perform much better on a carnivore because she's healthier. Now, I'm using that extreme example because I've, I've had clients who do better on a vegan diet, um, and I've had clients who've done terribly on a vegan diet. So the healthiest diet for you, and remember we talked about this earlier, your body, your metabolism, your microbiome, all the things that, uh, that cause how your body reacts to food can be very individual. So somebody may well, in fact, uh, do very well on a vegan diet. Okay. That being said, you know, I've been in the, in the fitness space professionally now for 22 years. I have never seen a diet be connected to morality. Um, like the vegan diet. I've never seen a diet. I've never seen keto was never pushed like the moral diet. Uh, paleo was never sold as the, as the, the, you know, the ethical moral diet. Vegan is being pushed as the moral diet. Now I understand the whole, I don't want to kill animals and, you know, and by the way, vegans who, who eat vegan and don't eat animals because they believe that killing animals for food is inhumane. Um, I applaud you because your actions match your words. Anybody who has, you know, who, who preaches and acts it out, I respect, even if I disagree with them. So I respect those people. Same. But what they're saying now is that if you don't eat vegan, you're destroying the environment. If you don't eat vegan, you're a bad person. It's becoming politicized. This is scary. And here's why it's scary. It's scary because it's going to push a lot of people to eat in a way that may not be best for their own body. And they're going to ignore the signals that their body is telling them in pursuit of this uh, perceived morality. And it's very dangerous. It's dangerous because the obvious, not every diet is great for everybody. There are clearly people out there who need meat and need the nutrients that can only be found in meat in order to thrive. Clearly, um, there are populations that uh, this is almost almost exclusively true. Maybe not entirely, but almost exclusively. Pregnant women, for example, 
um, thrive on diets that contain organ meats and meats. And if they are vegan, their doctors uh, almost always will recommend that they supplement uh, with some key nutrients, choline being an example. Uh, choline, uh, some scientists would even say, should be considered an essential nutrient, but especially for pregnancy. Crucial. Crucial. Um, so it's going to push people to eat in a way that may not be best for their body. Here's the, here's the other part of that. Vegans who are vegans because they've been vegans for a long time, they actually morally believe it's the right thing to do, they've been doing it for a while, they plan their, their diet out. A vegan diet requires more, all diets require planning, but a vegan diet requires more planning than an omnivore diet because the nutrients uh, that are found exclusively in vegetable diets require a wide range of vegetable sources. And some people would argue, and quite convincingly, that vegans need to supplement with certain key nutrients, choline being one of them, certain B vitamins, iron uh, in some cases, creatine. Uh, this is a big one. You can look this up yourself. Creatine is not just a bodybuilding supplement. It's actually essential for, for uh, ATP production. And now your body can produce ATP through combining certain amino acids, but studies show consistently that when vegans supplement with creatine, their IQ goes up. Okay, so it just shows that they're at a deficit, not because creatine makes you smarter, but because they're at a deficit. Creatine can only be found um, in animal products. Vegans who are educated and been doing it for a long time, they plan their diets out. And a vegan diet, a well-planned vegan diet is possible today in modern times. You can go to the grocery store and you have access to all this wide variety of vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds. You didn't have access to those uh, for up until, I don't know, 50, 100 years ago. You went to the grocery store, you got what was in season. If that's all you ate was vegetables, you probably were nutrient deficient. Nutrient deficiencies are high in the vegan population, primarily in people who really don't know how to plan their diets very, very well. Um, about the only foods that people eat that are not heavily processed today are animal-based products. So if you look at a person's diet, we just talked about processed foods and how they contribute to overeating. You look at the average person's diet and take out all their whole natural foods, and it's usually eggs, milk, steak, or chicken. Yeah. Everything else is heavily processed. So here's what's going to happen by using this propaganda, by tying politics to diet, by making it moral, by by attaching the climate, which we'll get to in a second, to this diet, here's what you're going to get. A bunch of uh, misinformed people who don't want to sit down and plan everything out, who now are just going to take meat out of their diet, what are they going to replace it with? Heavily processed, plant-based foods. You are going to cause a lot of nutrient deficiencies and obesity if you push people in this direction by making them believe uh, that this is the be-all, end-all. It absolutely isn't. It's not for every, anybody. And, it, and for the people that it is for, you got to plan it out, and it requires more planning from a, nutri from a micronutrient standpoint. Back to the climate. Let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> this one really gets on my nerves because when we look at, the, when we look at uh, uh, subjects like this, we don't look at the whole picture. The, the worst thing that we could do to the environment is be unhealthy humans. Bottom line, sick, nutrient-deficient humans make bad decisions, are less productive, less innovative, require more medicine, and cost more re resources. They produce unhealthy offspring. It lowers the IQ of the human race. Really, if you look at climate, if you look at the climate and you're honest, the only way we're going to solve this problem is through uh, incredible advancements in innovation, 
and efficiency. You're not going to get that with a sick population. The best possible thing we could do for the environment is be the healthiest versions of ourselves. And an omnivore diet is, is an easier, it's easier to access these micronutrients that you need. It also helps people eat less heavily processed foods. And for most people, a, some kind of a ratio of plant to animal product is ideal. Some people more animal, other people more plant. Very few people are on the extreme ends of the spectrum. So that's my big problem with this. And it's just, it's a well-made, heavily produced, you know, James Cameron, Arnold Schwarzenegger making the case. And it's just, it really pissed me off. And it was, it was, it was terrible because they were showing these athletes that ate omnivore diets, then switched to vegan diets and performed better. I, of course, there's going to be some people, like, like I just said, these may be the people who just do better by eating a vegan diet. Now their performance increased. Well, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Good for them. But for every single champion that's <laughs> athlete that's a vegan, I'll show you a hundred champion omnivore athletes. A thousand percent. And there's also, I mean, the, the, the whole documentary is set up with this straw man argument saying that like, you know, who needs protein for energy? And that like it's <laughs> yes. comparing protein. So first of all, nobody's eating protein for energy. No. Everybody knows <laughs> yeah. that you need carbohydrates in the form of glycogen in your muscles to get you through those explosive, you know, lifts and endurance. You're training. talking about the keto study they use? That was so that was such a sleight of hand magician moment <laughs> right there. What they did, if you if you haven't watched the documentary, is they compared a ketogenic diet to a diet that has carbohydrates. So ketogenic diet being high fat, no carbohydrates to a diet with carbs. And then they said the one with carbs is the, oh, that's the vegan diet and that went up. No, 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 that's not what the studies show. Studies show if you eat zero carbs or if you eat carbs, eating carbs will make you perform better. This is not new. new. We've known this forever. Uh, and yes, a, a lot of sor- most sources, if not all sources of carbohydrates come from plants, but that isn't making the case of eliminating all animal products. Exactly. Exactly. And also the whole question of protein and comparing the, you know, the proteins from plants versus animals. I mean, I think if you, I I also don't think it's very controversial that if you were to control, for example, like the leucine content of plant protein to animal protein, leucine is an amino acid found in, you know, in, in plants, in animals, it's an essential amino acid. It's all, it's also one of the most, if not the most anabolic amino acid, right? It's the the amino acid most responsible for like muscle protein synthesis. So if you control for that, it's also, I don't think, controversial that you can build muscle on a vegan diet. Yeah, of course. If you're, you know, uh, if protein, in- well, first of all, if it's a healthy diet for you, yes. If it's if protein intake is adequate, fat and carbohydrates and calories are, are adequate, you'll be absolutely fine. Now, on a on a on a comparison basis, I mean, if you compare, there's there's a lot of different ways that they measure the. I don't know what you want to call it, quality or effectiveness or of a protein. There's bioavailability. There's, there's a few things that they, that they measure for protein. The best sources of protein, uh, of all the ways that we measure protein are animal sources, yeah. to, my, to my knowledge. Um, they have the highest amounts of branched-chain amino acids, uh, which we know are uh, you know, uh, great amino acids for recovery and repair of muscle. Essential amino acids are uh, mostly balanced and highest in animal sources. Here's the thing. You eat an animal source of protein, you have a very complete source of protein. Plant sources sources of protein, not so much. Now, I know the whole like complete versus incomplete thing has been bastardized a little bit. What that basically means is, you, what you want to understand is essential amino acids are, so proteins are made up of amino acids. Essential amino acids are the amino acids your body can't make. 
they're essential. You have to eat them. If you don't, you won't thrive and essentially you'll eventually die. Um, if one of those essential amino acids is really low, then the amount, the total amount of protein that you're eating is limited by that low amount of one of the essential amino acids. And so that's why you'll hear people say that some, that plant proteins are incomplete and why you need to combine plant proteins. For example, beans and rice, when you combine those two, their amino acids profiles complement each other to create a more uh, complete uh, protein, if you will. Okay. You don't have this with animal sources. I don't need to combine chicken and steak <laughs> in order to make that happen. Right. And now I'm not saying that meat is superior to plants, but what I am saying is the best sources of protein, the easiest sources of protein are animal, yeah. uh, essentially. Yeah. Another argument, so thank you for sharing that. Another argument that I hear um, in favor of the documentary is that uh, there's all this funding going into like the meat industry and who's going to fund, you know, a pro plant film, right? Like, is it the broccoli lobby? And I think that's another really stupid argument <laughs> yes. because all of the biggest junk food manufacturers in the world are all fueled by wheat, corn, and soy. Like a lot of people are like, wheat, corn, and soy, it goes to feed the cows primarily, right? right? That's like where that money goes. But that's not true. No. Nabisco, Coca-Cola, Pepsi. Where do you think they get the sugar from that they use to sweeten their sodas? Corn. In, in fact, uh, you can't patent up until now. I'm not, you know, don't, don't, I don't know how long this will last. Uh, uh, I don't know if this will stand the test of time, but until now, you can't patent animal. So if I'm a cattle farmer, I can't patent my cattle necessarily. It's very difficult. Can you patent plants? Yeah. You sure as hell can now. GMO, all GMO plants. The biggest, some of the biggest lobbies in the world. You know, when you look at like the beef lobby, that's like a, or, you know, that's like a, a combination of all the different cattle ranchers and whatever. When you look at a company like Monsanto, they own a patent on a plant. Yeah. And they own a patent on the, the glyphosate that they spray on it. Those are very powerful lobbies and companies. So to say that there aren't any special interests that want to push us in the way of, of veganism is baloney. Look, if you want to make money on a, a food product, everybody knows either turn it into a product that you can patent or patent the product itself. Plant products have been patented, unfortunately. I, I think that was a bad uh, decision uh, on the part of the Supreme Court when they allowed for GMOs to uh, you know, be patented and not labeled. But here we are. Um, so, no, they have their own special interests. And believe me, it's, it, it, they, they want just as much as other lobbies to of influence to eat in a particular way. And now they've attached it to politics. And that is very, very powerful. I've never seen – I can't think of a single diet that's ever been – motivated that way. So this is going to be very interesting because now you've got like, like I, like eating a burger now, are people going to look at me like I'm smoking a cigarette? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Or driving like a diesel truck because like, I'm eating a burger. <laughs> like, I wonder what that's going to do, you know, to, to the average uninformed consumer. Yeah. And I really think it's going to push a lot of people who don't want to plan their diets and don't really, they just, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to eat meat. It's bad for the environment. I want to be a good person. I'm just not going to eat steak anymore past the you know, heavily processed. They're, you know, look at those impossible meat uh, foods that they're that they're selling like crazy. Which, you know, if I had less integrity, I would have bought stock. And those companies are making so much money. I totally would have. Yeah. 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 And but look what they're doing. They're they're they're. It's a you know, you eat a burger patty and you look at the ingredients and it's like beef. You eat like the the, the impossible one. And it's like fifteen or fifty different ingredients to make it seem as palatable as possible as the meat. It might even be more palatable. Right. It might even be more palatable. And as if all those ingredients aren't tethered 
inextricably to like to commerce. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, if you look, if you go through the supermarket, the vast majority of all junk foods are plant based. Yes, yes, Oreo yes. Oreo cookies, right? Yes, yes. Oreo cookies, Entenmann's, donuts, rolls, they're all plant based products. Yes, it's it's a it really makes me God. You know, it, all th- that movie. It was so hard not to boo while watching it. I wanted to be like I, I knew I was in a room full of people who were <laughs> like super in support of it. So I was like, I'll probably get jumped by all the <laughs> all the vegans in here but you know the part where they were showing like the erection strength of the men you know eat a burrito with chicken in it and then eat a vegan burrito and then we'll, we'll this device measures your like that's not a study it's not a study you know what you know what they're trying to do here's why it was smart propaganda and this is why I, i'm watching it and i'm a fan of politics so i can I, I i see how politicians and how smart they are with the way that they manipulate people and this video this this movie did that <laughs> what they tried to do is they tackled all the the it's like they had a um a focus group or whatever, a meeting. They're like, okay, we want people. By the way, I, I will bet this right now that people behind that movie will, will release some kind of a vegan supplement. I think that's probably, hmm. they're going to try and capitalize in some way. Somebody, I have no uh, data to back this up, but somebody mentioned that uh, James Cameron, who's one of the executive producers, is invested in some kind of like pea protein. I, I would not. See, that's a hundred, I, I would 100% believe that. But it's as if they got together and they said, okay, what are the main like reasons people don't want to go vegan? You know, it doesn't taste good. Okay, well, we can solve that now. We got whatever. What are the other ones? It's not manly. All right, we got to solve manly. Uh, we'll, we'll show some guys who get better boners with it, you know. We'll show people who are stronger with it and, you know, performing better. Um, what else is there? Oh, I know. Let's make people feel good about it because it's better for the environment and it's more humane and it makes them better people. So they literally took the – they really hammered home the whole performance and manly aspect of it, you know, because that whole like, oh, if you're vegan, you're weak or – you know, you're, you know, whatever. Let's put Arnold Schwarzenegger in this. <laughs> Let's put Strongman in this. Let's show these dudes getting better boners by eating veganism. So it's like they're they're doing a damn good job with. That's why I said it was the best. I I, I was watching. I was like, part of me was is in awe of the how, gr- how how good of a job they did with with the, the way they're delivering their message. So good. Well, the director is like a known environmentalist. I actually was uh, at an event where I gave a talk just before him, um, talking about the virtues of meat and egg consumption. Just before this guy, imagine. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. But he, his previous film was The Cove, which I believe won an Oscar, which was about the dolphin hunts mm. in, in Japan somewhere. And um, yeah, so he had all this money, all the resources. You know, he had the ear of Hollywood, you know, right? And Hollywood is increasingly becoming this like liberal <laughs> like place where, and I'm, I'm a liberal person, mm-hmm. right? But the, the vegan movement, I think, is, is become, has become very trendy here mm-hmm. because of, and I say here, I mean LA, because of its you know, sort of this like faux association that it has with like, you know, virtue signaling for the environment and, and all that stuff. So I found, so I I think it was just very easy for him to like, you know, loop in all of these supporters and get the money to make this film, which as you mentioned, it's a well-made film. Oh yeah. It's like, uh, there was a, God, there was like a climate, um, some event that happened in Italy where celebrities were going to come talk about saving the environment, whatever. I think it was 137 private jets flew to okay. that event. Um, for the listeners, a private jet, like one flight on a private jet, uh, you, you would have to drive for 15 years in like a you know, V8 truck to <laughs> create as much. So here's all these celebrities, yeah. like Leonardo DiCaprio, save the environment. It's great. You know, he's got yachts. This guy's got mansions. He's, the guy's producing more carbon than probably the entire audience listening to this podcast. Yeah. Right now, yeah, nothing annoys me more than that. And it, it, here's a conversation I have with with people when they when they talk about the morality around um, you know 
eating uh, animals and all that stuff. You know, I had a client once who was vegan and um, it wasn't working well for her at all. I mean, and I really tried. I really tried to help her. She was vegan because she, you know, didn't want animals to be harmed. Um, and I respected that completely. And so I really tried to help her. Um, we tried supplementation. I worked with her doctor. Um, of course, as a personal trainer, I'm not a doctor. So I, I called her doctor. Her doctor, her nutrients, you know, profile wasn't looking good. She wasn't getting her period. And the doctor's like, you know, I th- we think she needs to eat some some animal products and some meat. So I had a conversation with her about it. And she was real distraught over it. And I said, look, at the end of the day, the animal that you have to take care of the most is you. A healthy you is going to ha- has more potential for doing good in this world than a sick you. And there is a hierarchy, and you have to be at the top of the hierarchy. It's like parents. It's like, look, I have two kids, and it's natural for me, uh, you know, or their mom to pour everything we have into our kids and completely sacrifice our own well-being. This is actually quite common with, with parents, especially with moms. You'll see this. And it's like, you cannot pour from an empty cup. You are not doing your children any good by sacrificing your health, by doing everything for them, never taking care of yourself, never exercising, never doing anything to, to make yourself feel better. So if the vegan diet isn't right for you, and don't ignore all the signals of your body, pay attention to them and be empathetic to the most important animal, which is you. Give that empathy to yourself. And then when you eat meat, make good choices. You know, maybe don't go, you know, choose foods, meats that aren't from factory farming, animals that are humanely, uh, you know, uh, killed and processed, um, and eat maybe just enough meat to meet those nutrient requirements that you need to make yourself healthy so that you can be a force for good um, in the world. This is the conversation that I think uh, we need to have with people. But yeah, you're right. You're in, we're in L.A., um, which I could probably say is uh, the virtue sig- signaling capital of the world. Right? <laughs> yes. Everybody wants everybody to know how good they are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's just so ridiculous. Like, it's like, look at your actions, dude. Yeah. You know, if you really, really, really are super believe in what you're, that's why, again, why I, I respect vegans who don't eat, an- who, who, uh, who are vegans because they don't want to kill animals. Like, okay, you're, you believe in, you actually believe what you say you believe. I think a lot of people are just going to do it because they think it's cool. In the meantime, they're going to make themselves sick. Those people should just have fewer kids. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, what is the carbon footprint of a human, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. If you really care so much about the environment, eat meat. Just have fewer kids. Yeah, sure. Or don't have any. Yeah, sure, sure. You know? Or, Adopt. Or, you know, or, or are you, uh, did you ride the bus here? You yeah. Know, did you, are you using a skateboard everywhere? Exactly. Do you use the internet? Do you like, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do. But I mean, at the end of the day, um, uh, innovation is really what's going to solve this problem. Um, I think it's, uh, the climate is a very complex issue. We just lifted billions of people out of uh, severe, severe poverty, less than a dollar a day. We just did this in the last, uh, I think, 10 or 20 years. Uh, we've lifted more people out of uh, extreme poverty in the last 20 years than we did in, the, in all of human history. All of those people, just like the rest of us, are dependent on the technology that we currently have, which is dependent on a lot of fossil fuels. If we go crazy with uh, with with limiting, you know, production of uh, of products and fossil fuels and all that stuff, for the sake of the environment, you're gonna end up killing a lot of people. Also, we got to be very smart with how we approach these things. Be a little bit measured. Impulsive uh, actions and reactions aren't gonna help anybody. And really, you know, uh, you know, the best climate scientists that I've listened to, um, who are 
not climate change deniers, and neither am I. They say the only thing that you know the best the best chance we have is is innovation. Is that that's really what's gonna our our best uh, chances at solving this, and it, it, that's gonna come from being healthy. You're, you're, you're unhealthy humans. We don't produce very well. We need to be healthy, and pushing a bunch of people to go vegan is gonna make them use more medicine, require more resources, less productive, unhappy miserable people. If you've ever been sick or unhealthy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like we need healthy people. That's number one. Be healthy in the truest sense. And then our chances for helping things is, is much better. Damn, dude. That was an epic podcast and an epic, <laughs> you know, you're just like, oh man, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and that if there was a way for you to be on once a month, God, that would be awesome. Oh, I'd l- I love talking to you, man. Yeah, it's always same. fun. Um, well, we're out of time. So <laughs> thank you for coming down. You're up in San Jose. So I know you made the trip probably for a bunch of different reasons, but appreciate your time. No, I mainly came down to, to, to talk to you. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, you have a great audience. We have a lot of crossover. So um, I, I wanted to you know, stop by, say hi to you, and Sick. talk to your audience. And um, you know, our, our podcasts uh, have, like, again, a lot of crossover. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I value that quite a bit. Dude, yeah, my, my, my listeners are awesome. Um, Cool, Sal. Well, all you guys listening, you should check out Sal and uh, Mind Pump. Where can they find you on social media? Uh, my personal page is Mind Pump Sal, and then Mind Pump. You can find you just we're all over the place: Instagram, YouTube, and the most popular medium that we use is our is our podcast. You guys have to follow Sal. I know I've said this before on Instagram. You do these like meme streams oh that I love on your stories. They're so funny. <laughs> I wish that I could like repost the kind of thing the the things that you post. <laughs> I would get in so much trouble. But they're great. I have really dark, uh, really dark sets of humor. You, you don't even see the half of the ones that I I want to post, but I think twice about it. <laughs> they're but so good. You gotta be, you know, humor's fucking. Come on. Yeah, your your Instagram is the best. I love it. Thank you. Um, okay, so the last question that gets asked to everybody uh, is, what does it mean to you to live like a genius? Oh gosh, lately I've been really thinking about just being the best father um, that I can be to my kids. Really, I I, uh, I was at a um, I've been at, uh, attending. Uh, different churches and uh, I'm really trying to uh, work on spiritual practice. And so recently I went to a Christian church, Uh, actually next weekend I'm going to a Buddhist church. Um, But recently I went to a Christian church and the pastor comes up, great speaker. And he talks about, um, he brings up a study and talks about the best methods of parenting. And he showed this chart. And on one side there was like high discipline, low discipline, high love, low love. And the most effective parents in terms of just healthy kids who stay out of jail and do well and are happy, high discipline, high love. You got to have both. Uh, and ever since listening to that, I'm like, okay, I'm really gonna. I'm really good with the love part, the discipline part. Sometimes I'm a little bit uh, easy, so uh, you know, I'm really trying to create that structure. But I also show my kids a lot of love, and they're just the most important things in the world to me. So that's what's been on my mind lately. I bet you're the best dad. I, I, you know, I do my best. I'm, I don't. I, I, I'm like any other dad. I think that tries to do a good job. I'm. I fuck up a lot too. <laughs> and your colleague Adam, you just had a kid, right? He did. And his he name did. is Max. Max, just like you, yeah. He had a little baby boy. It's great seeing Adam go through the tran- the, the transition of, <laughs> of uh, you know, not having a kid to have. He was so cocky. Week <laughs> one, he walks into the studio. I got this down. It's not a problem. <laughs> Justin and I are like, all right, we'll see what happens. Is yeah. Justin a dad too? Justin's got two kids. Yes. Oh wow. And, and Doug's a, Doug's got a daughter too. Yeah, oh we're amazing. All, we're all dads. Yeah. You guys are all grown up. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. Excellent. Damn. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you to all you guys out there in podcast land. I value your time and attention. Thank you so much for tuning in. Share this episode of the show. I would really appreciate it. And I will catch you on the next episode. Peace out.